Hello, I'm Bob Bragdon, and you're listening to CSO Executive Sessions. CSO Executive Sessions is a weekly podcast produced by CSO Online and IDG. Each episode, we sit down with leading security and risk executives to get their take on the challenges faced by their organizations. I was in Boston recently speaking with Andy Ellis, the CSO of Akamai. With more than $2.4 billion in annual revenues, Akamai secures and delivers digital experiences for the world's largest companies. In part one of this two-part interview, we talk about the skills needed in a security organization today and Andy's top priorities for Akamai in the next 12 months. Andy, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Bob. Can you tell us a little bit about Akamai and the risks that you and your role help to address? Sure. I always like to start by giving people an analogy to hang their hat on for Akamai. And Akamai is like a shopping mall. What do you buy from a shopping mall? It's a trick question. You don't buy anything from a shopping mall. Use, uh, companies buy from a shopping mall the ability to get closer to their users right. or their customers. Uh, but the shopping mall isn't selling to the average person. What they're selling is that convenience and security, right? How do mm-hmm. we take, you know, the you know, Coca-Cola is always one of my favorite examples, is if you wanted to buy a Coke, you could drive to the company store in Atlanta. <laughs> it's really kind of inefficient unless you happen to be there for a Super Bowl that you're going to watch the Patriots win. <laughs> uh, but instead, you go to a convenience store to yeah. get a Coke. Or maybe you go to a mall and you buy a Coke. And what Coke gets out of that is they don't have to worry about replicating the company store experience all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they can also get benefits there, right? You know, my job is to help deter shoplifters. I'm the mall cop of the right. internet. So my risks are similar to those of the world's shopping malls, mm-hmm. right? I have a concentration risk. You know, all of these enterprises are using me. And as we've seen, you know, with other CDNs more recently and with ourselves in our you know, younger days, when you have a bad day, a lot of companies have a bad day. And that's a big risk. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have a lot of data that's moving through your network. So you have to worry about how are you protecting that data and how are governments going to see what you're doing with that data? Right. We operate in just about every country on the planet, which means I have to deal with you know, privacy laws and regulation from the U.S., which has one take on things. to Or multiple take on things takes. if you look at the states. You look at the states, right? <laughs> CCPA you know, changes the world a little bit. Uh, to the EU, mm-hmm. which again has multiple takes on things. We like mm-hmm. to think of GDPR as one thing, but the way the Germans interact is very different from the way the British interact. Although by the time this goes live, who knows if they'll still both be in the EU. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, to China, who has a f- completely different take on the world. Right. And so part of what my, my challenge is, is managing that risk for my customers. Being able to give them one seamless way to manage mm-hmm. their customer experiences wherever the customers are in the world. Mm-hmm. Security organizations have a lot of responsibilities, and it ranges from data privacy to awareness training, risk management, all those things. And what it's re- really leading to for a lot of organizations is some non-traditional hires, like maybe hiring marketing professionals, running awareness training, things like that. What skills are you looking for today that you may not have been looking for five years ago? 
So I think we're more explicitly looking for the skills that we were looking for five years ago. Sure. Uh, and I think if you go back five years is where we started to make our pivot, where we realized that security was no longer a primary skill we wanted to hire for. Mm -hmm. I think the traditional model used to be you hired people to be security engineers. And if you had this person, oh, it looks like they have the gift of gab. Well, let's have them do our awareness training. Mm -hmm. Or, wow, this person takes good notes. Let's put them into compliance. Mm -hmm. And what happened was two things. One is they now have to learn a completely new skill set that they might not have been that good at. They might have been okay at it and better than their peers, but that's not actually their core competency. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the other hand, they've learned this depth of technical experience that while it may help them, you've just sort of funneled that off into another side of the career that they don't necessarily need. Uh, and so what we've done is we sort of pivoted and said, how can we get that principally? So I think journalists is a place where we've hired extensively. and From, have from CSL, I might add. From CSL a couple of times. Uh, but not exclusively. I think we've hired one journalist from elsewhere. Yeah. Because we recognize that when we're publishing our threat research to the world, that's a journalist. That's not a security person who writes it. And you know, having journalists with experience in security who are skilled at communicating that. So mm -hmm. obviously why we turned to CSO. <laughs> Thank you, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so it's, it's a great, great feeder and training program for us. Um, but we've also looked in other places. We've hired librarians mm -hmm. to manage the core of our compliance program mm -hmm. because we recognize that that's a, an important skill set. Right. We've hired safety engineers. So I have a number of people with PhDs in different areas of system safety, whether it's water safety, you know, people who come out of chemical engineering backgrounds. Because so you're hiring the thought process? The thought process of yeah. distributed large-scale system safety, because realistically, security is a very small subset of that. Mm -hmm. If you can understand how to protect a water supply and really understand it, not just the way you know, those of us who might dabble at it do, but understanding that system, I can take you and teach you how computers work, right? and you can help manage that. Now, you might not be the person who's going to go break code, mm -hmm. but that's okay. Most of the issues I have to deal with are not software bugs, they're architectural flaws. Yeah, And so I need people who understand how to take apart architectures. Okay. I, someone asked me a question last night, sent me an email, and they said, um, you know, I've gotten my CISSP and CISM and, and things like that. They said, what other search should I be looking for? Is there, I know for a lot of businesses, they're kind of going away from looking for search mm -hmm. because everyone's kind of, you know, piled the certs on um, and they tend, tend to be looking for more practical experience or for people who have that thought process. Mm -hmm. um, but is there something out there that you kind of steer maybe your yeah. staff towards and say, so you know, CIPP or something like that. I have two different opinions on, on certs, and I'll yeah. share both of them. Yeah. Um, I think in the long run, certs are a horrible system. Uh, I think we many companies overly rely on them. Yeah. And that actually creates some of the uh, hiring disparities between with gender and you know, various minorities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when somebody puts out a job description and says, oh, it requires a CISP, CSSP and a CISM and eight and other 20 things. years of experience, 20 years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to have been programming this five-year-old language for seven years. Right. Um, you know, everything that we've seen says white men will look at that and go, that's BS. <laughs> I'm going to apply anyway. Um, I only meet 30% meet of the requirements, but that's okay. Cause nobody meets 40%. Right. Uh, you know, or maybe there is somebody who might meet it, but you're never going to find them, especially not at that salary. So right. I'll apply right. and that women and minorities tend to not to. 
Yeah, I've I've seen that right? that research. And so I, I saw a stat, and it might have been <clears> from one of your pieces of research uh, a while ago, that the number of job openings in a year that required a CISSP was comparable to the number of CISSPs in existence. Right. Yeah. Right. So that tells us something about the over reliance on this. Yeah. Um, but that's easy for me to say because I'm, you know, at the top of the career field and mm -hmm. I work my way up and nobody's going to look at me and say, well, Andy, we know we, we don't know that you don't know anything about security. So prove it. <laughs> um, there are days I think I don't know anything about security, but very rarely, <laughs> you know, somebody else going to tell me that. Uh, but if you're just starting out, you're not in that same position. Right. So, you know, there's been this whole push to tell people, oh, don't bother getting a certificate. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to get those certificates, mostly so they can check the box and they should recognize that, that they're checking needed. a box yeah. from an employer's perspective. And we'd like to be in the world where you don't need that, mm -hmm. but you do need them. But they're not the golden ticket. Like yeah. having this, the cert isn't going to get you the job. Um, or if it does, it's probably not a job that you're going to want forever. Right. If somebody says, oh, you have a cert, you have the job. You should recognize that's not a discriminating employer. Right. And you should look at your peers and verify that you want to keep working with them for a while. Mm -hmm. But it might be what you need to do to get that two to three years of experience where you can then move to another company. Because yep. a lot of times people will look at your resume and say, well, have you done anything in security before? Right. You know, the number of ways into companies where you don't have some security experience is really thin and narrow. Mm -hmm. You know, we run a couple of programs here that do bring people in and cross train them, mm -hmm. but those are really hard to get into and mm -hmm. not a lot of companies have them. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you. What are your top priorities for the next 12 months? I got a lot of priorities in the next 12 months. <laughs> I know, this is that long shopping list, that right? long shopping list. And this is this is one of those funny ones. that I, I have a lot of vendors who send me that, that question as well. Yeah. What are your top oh, priorities? Oh, yeah, that's, I've seen those and emails. I, I generally don't answer those. Um, or if I've got a new answer I'm working on giving folks, which is, look, I could improve everything. There mm -hmm. is nothing we do in security that we couldn't do better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for every CISO. Yeah. Um, and this is really frustrating if you're a vendor because when you show up, there's actually a good chance that you're right when you say you could make me better. Right. But you're too expensive in my time and in my right. organization's time for like 3% better. Right. It's just not right. going to happen. So I have to look at what can we do better. Mm -hmm. So one of our biggest priorities is just understanding how do we as an organization think about security. And that mm -hmm. sounds really nebulous. It's very strategic. But it's, it's that strategic piece. You know, as a CISO, if I'm blocking and tackling over the next 12 months, I probably did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to be doing some of that blocking and tackling, but it's how do I uplift the whole security program across the business? And how do I actually make board reporting interesting? Oh, um, to engage board, to get engage board members engaged? Board. Um, That's good. You know, I, have, <clears throat> I have some great board members who are heavily engaged. But what I recognize is I looked across the industry and I talked to a lot of my peers, mm -hmm. the stuff that we as an industry of CISOs tell our boards is basically useless information. Mm -hmm. Like it's, oh, let me tell you how many vulnerabilities we remediated, how many attacks came in. What does this actually tell a board? Like, Metrics. It's a, right? it's a metric, but what is the metric measuring? Like mm -hmm. if I tell you that I remediated 250,000 vulnerabilities last month, so what? Like. How many machines? Is that good? Is, is that, that good? Bad? Is that bad? What's mm -hmm. that in relationship to? And it might just be, oh, look, um, you know, there was a Microsoft release that had 17 vulnerabilities it was patching. And I just did the same thing I do every month of I patched one, did one Microsoft release, but it was 17 vulnerabilities across 100,000 machines, 1.7 million vulnerabilities yeah. mitigated. Yeah. Did I do anything different? No. 
So how do we provide them with insightful metrics that let us answer the important questions like, are we doing better this month than we did last month? Mm -hmm. And number of vulnerabilities we patched isn't really what's out there. It's number of vulnerabilities we didn't patch. It's right. really the more interesting measure. You know, do we need, do we have an organizational problem somewhere we need to fix? Mm -hmm. You know, and if so, what is it? Is it because we're running legacy technology that's just always vulnerable? Or is it that we have an organization that isn't patching? And I'm using patching as the sure, example, sure. but it just takes us across every operational security discipline. Yeah. So how do we up-level that so that we have a framework in which to actually improve? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, I'm also a security company. I'm not just trying to secure a business. I'm trying sure. to build security products. So what are the problems my customers are facing and how can I help them? You know, how can I make account takeover a thing of the past? Mm -hmm. Like that's absolutely in my next 12 months is how do I get every one of my customers to not have to worry about account takeovers? Mm -hmm. And that's a big challenge. How do those align with what's keeping you up at night? So that's one of the, the other, I was in fact at dinner <laughs> last night with a, a group of colleagues. We talked about, you know, what, what keeps us up at night? And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, the, the answers that I always give are to, to the public are, is a lie. It's not, <laughs> it's, you know, it's things that are true, but it's never like the, the real thing that keeps me up at night. And, and uh, my boss was there. He said, yeah, I bet. What, what about the board? I said, well, they get closer to, to sort of the, the, the hard truth. Because um, the hard truth is very nebulous. Mm -hmm. you know, what, but one of the things that I think most keeps me up at night is that systems are so complex now. And I don't think we actually understand the problems in our systems. Mm -hmm. You know, let's think, think about a car. I think it's an analogy I use with most people, you know, especially our age, right? That we grew up where cars were cars, right? Right. It was an internal combustion engine. It was a steering wheel. You that break down a carburetor. Like, you could do like, yeah. You know, yeah. If I say rack and pinion, that yeah. means something, <laughs> you know, for our generation, for those who aren't familiar, like that's literally where I turn the wheels turn the steering wheel and there's mechanics that turn the front wheels of the car. Like I'm literally turning the front wheels of the car and trying to turn it while you're sitting still is almost impossible, mm -hmm. right? Cause you're trying to pull those wheels over, but that's at the end of it. That's what a car was. And you understood your car, like mm -hmm. your first car probably was your baby. You understood how every system mm -hmm. worked in that. And like when some noise was happening, you'd be like, Oh, I understand. I know what that noise is. All I have to do is just X. Right. And now you drive a car that you have no idea how that thing works, right? <laughs> that is a network of computer systems that can drive itself around, and it happens to let you give it some input from time <laughs> to time. And when it does a weird noise, and you say, well, all I need to do is just, like that word is dangerous, just. Right. Because it means that you think that system is more simple than it really is. Mm -hmm. And I worry about that, because every time we do something to just fix the problem, if the problem wasn't as hard, wasn't as simple as we thought it was, maybe what we did was we, we dealt with the noise. Yeah. But we didn't actually deal with the underlying problem. And that's the real place we have to understand. And so that's one of the things that really keeps me up at night is, you know, the the system catastrophe that's going to happen at some point. In hindsight, they always looks trivial. Mm -hmm. Right. People look and say, oh, my God, how did such and such company go down? Like, all they had to have done was just X. One thing, yeah. And the answer is, well, <clears throat> you say that in hindsight, but at the time, they didn't even know how that system worked, mm -hmm. and neither did you. Yeah, that's a good point. Join us next time for the second part of our conversation, where I had the chance to talk with Andy about what keeps him up at night. I hope you'll join us. CSO Executive Sessions shares the expertise and insights of leading security and risk executives. 
To learn more about how security and risk leaders are addressing today's dynamic risk environment, make sure to visit us at CSOonline.com. And be sure to catch future CSO Executive Sessions by subscribing to this podcast on CSOonline.com slash podcasts or through Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Until next time, for CSO Online and IDG, I'm Bob Bragdon. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.